Welcome to Friday, listeners. It's the last Friday of May. A big sponsor shout-out goes to Tatiana School of Couture as she launches her online sewing workshops. Use the link on the Daily Series podcast to hop over to Tatiana's website and booking. We've got a special treat for you today. At the New South Wales Australian Sewing Guild Industry Day on Saturday the 14th of March this year, their keynote speaker was Rebecca Ritchie. Now Rebecca is the head of wardrobe Opera Australia and she discussed the processes that the team works through to bring from the initial sketches and designs the magical moments that first appear on stage. So today's recording is the audience view of that for you. In a couple of weeks time though we'll be talking to the New South Wales Industry Day Committee. Enjoy this recording and have a lovely weekend. Hello, thank you for having me today. It's um, a great pleasure to be here and share with you what we do in the wardrobe department at Opera Australia. A little bit about my history. I was a home sewer, sewing at school, like probably most of you, and went to LA to work on a production just altering off-top clothes, and that was Baz Luhrmann's Love Win. It was a big breakout production for Opera Australia, and I rode the wave of that. Um, decided that costume was what I wanted to do, and I pretty much I came back for two weeks' work, and I never left. It was 28 years later, been the longest two weeks of my life. Um, I was a baby, I sold the infant, yes. <laughs> but it's the largest permanent wardrobe department in Australia. Film companies employ more over short bursts, but we're the largest permanent company. We currently have around 20 productions in the workroom at the moment at varying levels. So at any one time, we're working right across a lot of different productions from early stages of budgeting right through to women what's on tonight hopefully next week as well, we'll see how we go. So the way that we start a production is the designs are presented to us, the designer is chosen by the director. We hope that's about 12 months in advance. It's getting shorter and shorter and shorter. With people's busy time, we're giving a smaller window in which to do our shows. So our scheduling of those productions is very important. We need to know when we're going to be working on all of them so that we can give the attention that they will need. So at the beginning, it will be just the buyer focusing on the production, and then as we move through, the supervisors will pick up on it, then the cutters, then the sewers, then the stage staff. So it has a it has about a 12 month life until it, until it gets on stage. When we're presented with the designs, the first thing we have to do is budget it. It all comes down to money. We're currently in the process of budgeting the ring cycle, which is small part opera, the biggest thing we can do in opera. And it's 71 grand over budget, so I've got to find $71,000 in there somehow. That's my job at the moment. Sometimes it's great, and you've got the money there to put the show on stage. For instance, this costume here. This is Leonora from The Force of Destiny. She is a very wealthy member of the Spanish higher higher households. And her story is that she runs away with her love, doesn't have any money, 
and it never ends well. Uh, what the director wanted to show at the very beginning of the production was what she gave up, so what she actually left behind, which is why we have this incredibly embroidered costume. And I won't take it off the stand just yet, but I will take it off later because there's many different pieces underneath. And that was part of the scene on stage. She stripped of all the elements on stage piece by piece. And there's a lot of tricks in there, costume tricks that you'll see that we utilise to get it in on your budget, how you make it work, and, and also make it work on stage. Let's go back to when we start at design. So this is our mirrors over here on the stand. So Aida. Aida is the, the Pharaoh's daughter. The second time she appears on stage is in the bedroom or the church over the palace, so she's much more relaxed. Joan Balashki is the Italian designer who created this design. So this is what we get. This image here is what we see when it first arrives, and we nut out how we're going to do that. It could have been an embroidered costume, it could have been hand-painted, it could have been fabric that we chose to do this. There's many different options and we have to work out how we're going to do it. So how do we do it? Well, this base here of this slip is just a white sequin fabric. We just started with a white sequin fabric and then we created this geometric design. It was cut on a laser cutter, which um, is a great tool for us for creating designs in-house. And then it was get sprayed or art finished. So instead of getting it beaded in India, which is often something we do, and that's what we did here, we sprayed it. It meant that the sequins, we could create that really fine triangle point. Any sequin, you know, you're gonna have to go so small, the cost of embroidering that would be insane. But it's theatre. You've gotta remember, people are at least, you know, 20, 30 metres away. So it looks like a beaded or a sequin dress in a black and white pattern. In fact, it's just black sprayed onto white. The other thing that we want to do when we create a costume is think about how we're going to use it in the future. So we're never putting it on one person only. It's going to have to go on many different people. And for this product, for this one, and this is a trick we use a lot, the underskirt is separate. So we've got a black slip underneath. Then a waist of the fabric, we've just put it, tapped it onto the hem at the bottom. And there's also several tucks in there. So if someone wears it in the future and they're taller, then we can let them down, we don't have to worry about it. Or we can shorten it through the underneath layer. That's the other thing. You can often let things in and out, but proportion up and down is quite hard to do in a costume. And that's a trick we've used on this one as well. The hem is so heavily embroidered, you don't want to be tucking up that hem or trying to let it down. It's just not possible. So what we've got under here is a huge tuck goes all the way around that we can drop up and down for this costume. Now we knew at the beginning we were going to have two different sopranos in this at least, one quite small and one quite large. So not only is this adjustable to here, but there's also an incredible amount of excess in the waist, big tucks, so that we've spread the, spread the size through this so we can let it in and out. We don't have to make it again. We did make second bodice because that's not fun to make more that easily, but for the skirt we only ever make one and we do all performances. All right, back to our mirrors. So her gown, this was really hard to nut out. This was really hard to work out how we were going to do it because 
there were so many elements to it, and it was just, it was going to be expensive. And we had three different Ameris. One that was about my height, one of it's for that, and six foot two. Yeah. And we only wanted to make one coat. So it actually cut the incredibly tall woman, but because you've got that rounded front edge, when she's wearing it, it kind of just drapes away. So you win some, you, you lose some. We've got some internal tucks in the sleeves so we can shorten the arms so it's not as much completely overwhelmed. But as a, you know, as a general thing, it's one size fits all in this one. The fabric started out, the, the body of the, the, the kimono started out shot gold and silver. So this is the fabric here. You can see the loom that the silver comes into play. And then over the top we have sprayed the silver and the black to create the papyrus pattern. There's only one seam in the centre back of the body of it. There is through the through this uh, tuck section here. But generally it's one centre back seam that goes all the way around to the front. So the front is off grain, but you have not then had to seam all the pieces in together. And so that's the decision that you make to make sure that the pattern flows through nicely. And where will we going to see most of the pattern? On the back. So that's where we focus our attention on that. Then there is the, the border edge. So this is a lot of work. This is a lot of time. And often you won't get the soprano until three or four weeks before the show. So it all has to be done our life on a stand and decisions made before they arrive and that's the case with the hem. We had to just go with the length that we wanted, create this border, goes from smaller all the way through, right around the corner and all the way down to the hem. So we had three, I think three different sizes for this scholar pattern here. You can see it changes size just there and then as it gets in the bottom seam. You're trying all the time to think what's the most economical way I can do it without overdoing it, you know, where's the cutoff point? We could have done it absolutely graduated all the way through, but we didn't need to. We realised we could cut it off at three different points. So that's that's our Amera. She wears it for all about ten minutes, but she'll wear it every time we do Aida. You can see just in the photograph there on the corner, you've got the design and then you've got the pages beside it. When we get the design, they go straight into what we call Bible, costume Bible. So this is the Bible for Lava Wen. And in fact, that's going to be their costume just on the, the black and silver and gold. And she's in there. The way the Bible pages work is that you have the design, you sit down with the designer, and we'll, you pick out the elements. What is it that you want? What's your priority? What do you need? So for here, we've got the samples of the weaving, we've got the samples of the fabric at the bottom. We haven't got a sample of the painted fabric, but we've got a sample of the gold and silver shop because that's how it started. And the final is really there for your reference as you're going along. There's going to be a lot of different people working on the costume, so they can always go to the one source that they know, you know, this is what's been chosen for this. But also, if something's to be repeated in the future, all that information is there. Where we got it from, what shoes were bought, where the trim was, how much we bought. You know, we'll often buy, and budgets allow, more than we need because we'll have to repeat it again. If it's a particular fabric that is up in a dress store and they may not, it's a fashion fabric and they may not have it in, you know, two years' time, we'll buy extra. If it's a base solid fabric that's one colour, uh, we'll just buy it in enough. Because our production is designed to last 20 years. 
they don't always last on you, and then we've got that thing like chewing gum, but like it's been 32 or something. Like it's been going a long time. And we've had to remake that over the years with lots of players. It's still called Games with Monos. There's 120 people on stage that trade on each other's costumes and get ripped. Silk rots. And you get that's, you know, just the nature of the show. Well, we do talk about whether we would actually do a polyester version. And we decided against it because of the movement and silk on stage. We chose to do polyester on the children because they're much tougher on their bodies than the performers. So you, you do, you, you weigh up all your decisions as you're going along and, and after 20 years of doing cheering up, we thought, how could we do it again better? 20 years is a lot of time of technology and changes in techniques and, and methods of making costumes. So we have our office or workshop space in Surrey Hills in a big building there. We used to store everything there. We're too big now. So when a production is finished, it comes back to the office vendor. It gets cleaned, it gets dry cleaned, it was hand cleaned, packed up, marked off, but it's all stored in big wooden crates, then on the side of the production, one or two or three, and then it's shipped up, goes out to the warehouse, black down, up on the shelf, stored, kept safe. Does that have to be flat? Uh, no. So there are some elements that the panel underneath is still black, and we have boxes for hats and accessories and things like that. This is very robust, this fur. So, no, not this one, but we have other beach dresses that get to keep flat and box because, you know, they put longer by the time you roll it out of the back box and trim and stuff. <laughs> we, yeah, we used to store everything, but the fire regulations changed and the sprinklers wouldn't reach the bottom level, and so everything had to shift out. So, yeah. But it also means that we don't lose things. When I first started, things were missing all the time because it was like, I just need a quick pair of black pads and go and grab those, and then they're gone. So it's a much better system. We now also RFID tag all the costume pieces so we can scan them in and out. It's rather new, we've only been doing 18 months and it's still in its trial phase and it's still giving a lot of the door library. But it does tell us where pieces are. Yeah. So yeah, so we've, we've worked through those. We've made sure that if the information changes in a fitting, that the buyer is updated because this is the source that we're going to use. So there's a lot of paperwork and keeping the people in production is accurate. Of course things go wrong, changes happen at stage. There's not one exact pathway to getting the costumes on stage. And that's part of the joy I think of what I do and what my team does is nothing out those problems, figuring it out, how are we going to do it? How are we going to make the same merits code? We could have just sent it off to India and not thought about it, but we didn't want to do that. We have one little look at the museum staff costume. So we go in, this is the production that was done. Oh, one last thing on India. She's got a collar. Now, this is removable because you can't dry clean it. So any sort of heavy jewelry pieces or anything with a lot of extreme detail or embroidery will be something that we make removable because the metal won't last with dry cleaning, but also damage the, the garment. So it's been taken off at the moment because it's done at sea and it will go back on when we come back to rebuild this. So then the other things you've got to think about too, how we're going to actually function, how are people going to clean it, how are people going to move in it, what are they going to need each night at the theatre. It's all very well to design something but if you can't air it out or get it in the hot side of the hot box, yeah. <laughs> and these things are fires a lot. A lot. A lot. Yeah. Anything next to the body, so shirts, chemises, like really close to the skin, will 
wash every night. So we have a big team a team of maintenance people that come in every day and do all the washing. We also think about, okay, so it is they are a square. We are going to have to do something about that. So we rewash fabrics, particularly for waistcoats and things that are going to absorb a lot of the sweat. We'll make sure that the canvases are being washed or we'll use a canvas that won't shrink um, so that we can actually physically immerse it in water at the theatre without having to send it to the dry canvas. We call them sweat pads. Some people call them dress protectors. Oh, yeah, that, that. And, and they go in as a matter of course that just protect our costume. It's quite heavy. The thing with, with this one, she wore it for her first aria. She wears it from the top of the show and she wears it for about 10 minutes. So we knew that she wasn't wearing it all night. If, if she was going to wear it all night, it would have been printed or painted or just fabric rather than embroidery. Generally, costumes do end up quite heavy. And the reason for that is that they've got to be, they've got to stand for long, like they've got to last for a long amount of time. So you do need some structure inside, you do need the mounting, you do need heavy finishing so that it can be handled quite strongly and also last that 10 minutes. Yeah. Actually, I'll just show you, we've got a waistcoat over here and a, and a coat. This is a first fitting stage. So this is from a production of Dom Dugani. When we get to first fitting stage, there's still a lot of decisions to be made. Even though you've had the design, the designer might want to see it on the body, change the proportion, look at what how it's working. So the reveal on the waistcoat here is just a bit of the lawn cut out. We haven't decided yet what shape the collar's going to be. So it's really just there as a visual to look at proportion. We haven't put any pockets in because the waistcoat length could change. We've left lots of excess in there so that we can play on the body. And you'll see also our side seams and our seam back seams. That has a really chunky seam, but that's what we get in them. You get to leave that inside in the center back. When you're cutting your arm for the sleeve, you leave it on the sleeve, the back sleeve, and also the excess up into the sleeve, sleeve head. So inside our costumes are not very pretty. They do not look like wedding dresses or couture garments. They're very, very clumsy because you need to let it out in the future and you can't just let it out that way you'll need the excess up top so inside is a lot of excess creates extra weight but it means that we're not remaking it time and time again we can actually let it out same here on this towel coat so the top collar hasn't been finished off yet they've just cut it in the canvas so they can see in case we've got to change the shoulder lining or anything the really important thing with men's tailoring to get right is the balance on the waist and the fit on the shoulder and that's the very often in a fitting, you put this on, the first thing you'll do is rip off the collar because it's not fitting very well and adjust the shoulder and then the sleeves come out and everything gets balanced from the shoulder and from the waist. Then you go back and you redo that. So you don't want to put the time and energy into finishing the collar that's going to be dumped because the shoulder line is different. And you all know everybody is asymmetrical. No shot, two shoulders are the same. Every singer stands differently, and also when they're standing in a fitting room, it's not necessarily how they stand when they sing. So they can be just quite happily standing there, but actually when they sing, they're much more chest forward, more rolling shoulders. So there's all those little elements that you've got to take into account as well. And so very often the adjusting is all happening here through the shoulders. You'll see this shoulder line here, it's like a period shoulder line. This came, it was this is the shoulder line up until about 1920s and then it changes to over the top of the shoulder. So this creates a nice smooth line over men's shoulders, not a modern shoulder pad line. So 
the trainees came in, that was when they wanted to kick that out. And this is where the shoulder seemed sad, challenged. And those little elements I absolutely love finding out about just those little tweak details, little reduction of the marriage at Figaro about four years ago with a costume historian, well actually I should say a fashion historian, uh, Jenny Terramani, and she runs the School of Historical Dress in London. If you ever get to London, please just go in and have a look, take some classes, and she she is the go-to for us on historical fashion. So she will find corset pieces that have been on statues in a church, or often very in tombs, or with a cultural to put old pieces of clothing and you bury it in your wall when you plaster up the wall to ward off evil spirits. People renovate the houses, they pull down the wall, and they find pieces of clothing hidden behind the wall. So she researches what were the fibers. What kind of moaning did they use? Which way did they stitch the seam? Which direction was the fabric? Why is there a patch here? And that kind of that detail, she'll x-ray it and look where there's metal boning, where there's whale boning, and all of those little tiny details to create patterns that are historically accurate. And from that, we did a production of The Marriage of Figaro where we went right down to that really nitty-gritty point. We didn't hand saw it because we're not insane, but... <laughs> We did, we did discover things like, because the armholes were so tiny, we actually couldn't, couldn't get them in under the sewing machine to a certain point. We could only stitch from side to front seam over the shoulder, but underneath we actually had to do it by hand because it was so tiny, but that's what they would have done. So it was really interesting to, to see the, the tricks that they use that we could then utilise as costume people, because often you're trying to work out how you can make something work, you know, without and yeah, that's an absolute my, probably one of my favourite productions we ever worked on. The other detail in that production was that the entire the colour of the palette was blue. So all the servants were blue. And the reason for that was that blue was the most common dye that you could get at the time. It was called Vogue. And that's now what we use as denim today. Still the most common dye that we use. And so anyone in the lower classes of the, the household, the figure was all about servants and lords were in pale blue and then as you got dark clothing further up the ranks you were and so Figaro who was a high servant was in dark blue and just those little details about telling a story on stage through costume which was absolute joy for us because we got to shine at the front in that particular production yeah it was just if you do ever get to London please check out the school of historical dress she's absolutely mad and passionate and that's it's like a joy around. So I do mess up. All right. So this was a production that we did in 2010. We do go in every year now. This production has been so successful and it opens our New Year's Eve. Bowen, if you know the story, it's set on Christmas Eve. Two people fall in love. There's a fabulous party scene and, and then she dies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's still a great hour because it's a night in the theatre. This is Musetta's costume. So Musetta, as a rival, the first time we see her on stage is in Act Two, and the show stops when she walks in, and she actually sings about everybody is staring at me, look how fabulous I am, <laughs> and so you can't look out in the tracks. <laughs> so we created 
created this dress for her. Julie Lynch was the designer, and you can see here Karen Thieby, who was our first presenter. We've had maybe 10 now, I'd say. So this is the original dress that we created. This is not the original dress, it's not like that copy, but you can see we give the same dress to the demo each time. It started out as a black fabric, a silver fabric, and a gold fabric. So what we've done, all these panels here, are alternated stitching. So you've got black, silver, black, silver. You've got gold, black, gold, black, gold, black. So those panels were created to achieve this starburst effect. The panels through here, the skirt, skirt, like a skirt, as you call it, is on a separate panel so that it moves differently. She has a scene where her shoe is hurting and she's going to get her leg up in the air and scream because her shoe hurts and that's how she gets rid of her old boyfriend. You must find some going this but it's really great for fun. But these panels were sent to India once we had chosen this fabric to be beaded to match the rest of the costume. So each panel is a separate thing so that we can get the leg through the skirt. There are also the kind of things that we can take off and put on another costume that overlaps, but you can stretch them out, shrink them, I think, and make something smaller. The jewellery is made up of these. This is a necklace, okay? We got it on stage, you couldn't see it. So we backed it onto black fabric because, again, it's all of this, it just wasn't working. And so you can make the choices in that moment. This is what I want to, you know, do that when you get it on stage, it may not have worked. You can see on this girl here, so the hours we spent labouring over this. We got all of it on stage. There's a little design here on the side, which was really distracting when you got it on stage. So we just had to print it out with black paint. I could get all of this work on here, and in the end, you just need a tube of black paint to finish it off. <laughs> and you've got to just tuck down and do it because that's what's needed at the time. Quite often, we're breaking down costumes, and that's giving it an aging process. I actually really enjoy that part of it because it gives the costume an extra life or it tells more of the story depending on what their character is, whether they're people living in the street or they're just a worker needing the edge taken off the costume. There's different techniques that will employ from dyeing, spraying, grating, bleach, anything that ages something up. We'll need to do often blood effects or wounds into a costume. Could be a stab, could be a bullet wound. Everyone has an opinion on how much blood comes out of a bullet wound. And I can tell you always, no matter how much you put on it, it's always more when you get to the stage. It's always more blood. I think, you know, Quentin Tarantino's responsible for a lot of how much blood we accept these days. But we might, we might start talking about her. So the, the director wanted the costumes peeled off her bit by bit on stage. During her aria, it's, it was quite a difficult aria. Actually, when the soprano arrived, we fitted her in Melbourne. We flew down, we had to wait for an hour and a half while she sang all of her music to the conductor before he would sign off that she could do the production. So we are literally there with costumes, ready to go, like, come on, we've got to get this thing made. And he wanted to know that she was able to sing it because it is so difficult. Plus, she has to take the sweet costume on stage. So we had a team of chorus ladies who were choreographed to take each bit off just as she was either taking a breath or pausing or hitting a low note where she wasn't having to exert herself. So the whole removal of this costume on stage was highly choreographed and 
the director didn't have time to rehearse it, so we got to the stage and we had to choreograph it. And so we had all of like 20 minutes to figure it out, and it was very, very stressful. And as a part, I was incredibly quiet about it, and we managed it. So we start making it off. The first element that came off was the rug. So that just unties it back, and off that comes. So you can see she's starting to be exposed. The next little bit that comes off is the sleeve. And here's when we start untying it, the sleeve. So there is nothing more nerve-wracking as a costume person than watching someone untie a bow on stage. You know that it can knock, and there is nothing you can do if it knocks. So they have to carry scissors on with them as well, because you can't even know what it's like and do your shoe. If you just pull the wrong cord, you're stuck. I'll tell you, we had another production of Salome where the dance of seven veils, and so she has seven different costumes that she wears within that, and the final costumes are so nerve-wracking watching them. Watching while they're doing quick changes backstage, you just don't know if they're going to come off. And she had one costume that was, was called the Dancer, and it was like a blue sequin dance ball gown, big fur feather trim and hem. And what the director wanted was it to unravel from the top, unwind, like a, like a present, you know, like a, a gift that was being given to Sherry. And, of course, when you start unraveling something from the top, there's nothing holding it up, so it starts to, to fall down. So not only did we have to get her into this costume in about 45 seconds, but also have it stay up on her and then unravel right down. Like, um, so it's like, you know, four metres of a costume being wrapped up on her in 45 seconds, not possible. So we had to have all these special devices where you could actually, we had a zip that went a certain section to do it up and then another zip. So it was all set to go and they just zipped her sections up, final bit wrapped around and went onto her shoulder. And you know, you can do all this work. We had magnets that undid and all that. That's how it unlocked so it didn't hear Velcro or poppers. This is nothing worse than giving the secrets away. And Herod was so nervous about not getting it wrong, I guess, that he was really tentative on putting all the costumes, didn't want to break, you know, damage it. But of course, unless there's a tension on it, nothing is going to come off. So it was just, you can do all this work and then there's just one person at the end that's still going to carry it off on stage. And look, in the end, we did it and she made all the quick changes every night and we all had fun. But back to the Nicola. Okay, so the next bit that comes off is the bodice. So she just, there's literally three hooks on the back and a couple of poppers. Squishy bodies are easy to get costumes off and not just pulling. They're much more obliging. So that's the next bit that comes off. And Leonora's left, start, we're starting to see her in her underwear. She sings a bit more of her aria. She sings about how she's in love. The next element to come off is this pink uh, box skirt. So that comes off. And here's when you can see that scene that I was talking about before. We're going to put all that alterability through. While that's coming off, you've got three of the chorus ladies down the front. Again, very nerve-wracking. I'm going to go over the stage. And I think actually what they ended up doing something like even they did it from the ground up because you didn't want the ribbons hanging over the next one now. So all those little things just to make sure that she gets undressed properly. So just, and you can see we've got a big tab there. That's where you've got something to grab. We're often we leave petticoat waistbands going longer so that we can handle it, kind of hidden underneath. Now we're down to the base of the petticoat. It's quite a padded, chunky petticoat, and that's because we want 
um, cover up or disguise the the runs of the pannier that's underneath. Any uh, crinoline or pannier bustle is going to need some kind of fit coat over the top to soften soften those lines. Spray, 
and you can feel the air conditioning fabric. I think there's probably only one layer in that one, but we'll often fold it and pleat it to create frills if we don't want to do a, a full pannier or the frills on the back of a bustle or if over the years, you know, the cushion has started to collapse a little bit, we can pick it back up again. Um, so it's a really handy fabric, but it's not checkered, so we can you know, use it sparingly. It's, it's really interesting, the really fine, delicately usable fabrics, the ones that are the most expensive. The ones you don't see are the ones that really test your budget. No, she stepped out of that one, but I can't get the dummy to stop. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, no, so the reason that the, the split was on the, the both sides was so that if we only let it go at the back, it's actually quite a squeeze to get out of it, to get that circumference over the hip. So when you put two fastenings on the side, it also meant when you were letting it out for the soprano, you can see actually in that pannier where the tucks are, that you know we're expanding it that way, not just in, at one point to throw off the whole balance of it. So that's the other issue, particularly with panniers. They actually only can be let out so much, so we had to think about how we could, could do that. So um, did you say yeah. you could use fiberglass or special material? We, we actually use both. Um, Definitely that one. Fiberglass is a lot lighter, but fiberglass is great for circles, not so much for an oval shape, but metal you can like manipulate a little bit. We'll use metal boning for skeletons. Although, on when we did figure it, that was that production in the costume historian, we had what looks like a, like a 30 centimetre spool ruler. It was called a it's a, and it's a rod that literally went down the front of corsets and they were often what's it called it's escaping me now yeah and it's got a little top yeah. hole with a tie at the top yeah. tie it into it yeah yeah and they're called a love oh, and it was often given as a love token because it's worn close to and quite long down the body and so it was a it was embroidered or it, it would be engraved with another's name or a message. And so we, we did use those on the big row. Oh, but the thing about them is because they're removable, surprises take them out and they're back to them. That's the other thing. You've also got to remember people are singing and working in these. It's not a historical reenactment. All right, so how do we get this corset off quickly on stage? Because we've only got like five seconds. How do we get her in? How do we get it off her quickly? So if you were here before, you would have seen me lacing up front here. That's like a, that's a whip technique. But we don't have time to do that on stage, but she's still got to be stripped right down to measurements. So a trick that we use in the theatre, and we use this a lot for quick changes, you'll see we've got a cord running right through the back, like a rip cord. We either use a soft one or it can be hard if it's on armour or something like that. So she's singing the note and the chorus ladies are helping out. It works much better on a soft body, so it might look a little bit around good today. But that's the tip. Cool. It works really well on soft bodies. So that comes off quickly. We're not wasting time whipping her, potentially whipping her in the face, but we can't afford to come off. It really hard. It's really hard. And then she was left to adjust. Oh, so, so she got that costume for like the first That looks like she could run away with somebody. That doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a long way to not get her costume. She then gets a travelling coat over this and spends the rest of the operating mum's robes. So, you know, she gets 10 minutes in that and then she gets the rest of the show in that. Probably not, you know, like if you're 
Thanks for listening.